This is the PowerShell Podcast. It's all about PowerShell and the PowerShell community. PowerShell Podcast. A production of PDQ.com. Making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm Ultra Superstar Jordan, along with even bigger Ultra Superstar, Andrew. So kind of you. Well, last week I was a bit harsh, so it's trying to, trying to bring it back around full circle. Well, thank you so much, Jordan. Very kind of you. I, I often wonder if people listen to the intro and decide if, uh, is, are these days that I'm angry at you or not, based on how friendly I get. You're friendly now, so I guess you had a good lunch. It, it was delicious. Thank you for asking. Good. So what do we got going on? So there's been some cool articles that have come out recently. Um, there is awesome one by Patrick, uh, PowerShell search and delete empty folders. I think that's a very useful thing for a lot of people. And especially if you're newer to PowerShell, that type of project can be pretty approachable. We also have our friend MDGRS and, you know, I need to message him and find out how to actually pronounce it, but MDGRS dropping an awesome blog about PowerShell classes and the session state. We need, we need a pronunciation guide. Yeah. I think James had an idea of how to pronounce it, but I'm not sure it was accurate. I don't know. He was very confident. But speaking of James, we also have a new user group coming up, the Pacific PowerShell user group. Uh, the first ever uh, meeting is September 13th at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, so if you want to learn kind of an intro into modules, that's a great one to attend, and we're hoping to get a nice combination of uh, advanced and beginner topics for everyone. Awesome. So beginner, beginners are welcome to Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to start Encouraged. Somewhere. Encouraged. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, we often talk about getting involved in groups and finding people and maybe asking questions and things like that. And user groups are a great way to do that. And having more user groups is awesome. Yeah, I'm excited for having a new one in our, I guess, in my region. You're on the other side. Well, you know, the internet brings us all together. I believe it'll be an online meeting. So, hey, you might see me there. Don't count me out. I like it. Enough of us. No, no, no I, I got to share one oh, more one. awesome okay, blog. I, I apologize. Friend, friend of the podcast, Harm Veenstra, dropped an awesome blog about retrieving local and remote PowerShell logs. There's many reasons why so, that would be helpful. I, I have no desire to see how many times I've typed my password in clear text. Oh, no, it's, you would never, Jordan. It's, it's not It's not zero. So, uh, <sighs> yeah. Password and plain text, please no. There's a there's a good uh, project from Microsoft to help you with those secrets. All right, but no, no one's here to, to listen to, to us. We're great and all. But we have special guest today, OG PowerShell legend, Bruce Payette. I didn't even check. I hope I pronounced your last name correctly, Bruce. Close enough. Close enough? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's our history is uh, usually close enough with the pronunciations. Right. All right. Well, well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. This has been, I'm, I'm excited about this one. Is we love talking to people that were there from from day one. It's always interesting to hear mm-hmm. their take on where we're at versus where it started. Yeah, it's uh, it's come a long way. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like whenever I got into PowerShell around V3, V4, um, it was so new that like everyone was still the same people like the your active memory could kind of hold a lot of what mm-hmm. happened but now things it's been like over a decade things have changed so much it's kind of cool to go back and see some of the founding powershell team members who helped create what we all enjoy today and it has grown a lot since then mm-hmm. so yeah. to to touch on that how how was the vibes in the early PowerShell days? Like what was the smell in the air of the team? And um, I believe it was a pretty small team back in the day. It, as was, well. it was a very small team. Um, it was sort of interesting because the team that was doing it was supposed to be staffed out of the India development center. Um, we ended up moving it back to uh, Redmond because we couldn't get enough qualified developers, uh, experienced developers in, in uh, India at the time. I'm sure that's not a problem now. Um, but it was a very small team, Jim Tour, myself, uh, and not Jeffrey at that point. So the original Shell project, uh, Jeffrey was in a different group, um, but the manager who was running the Shell project said, he's got this really cool idea, come take a look. 
And so we wandered over to his office and he demonstrated the, the idea behind PowerShell, the power the uh, reflective pipelines. And uh, we agreed that that was something we really wanted to take on. So it's pretty exciting. It was, it was a whole new uh, approach to writing a shell, uh, a very different model. Um, so that was very exciting. Um, at the time, Microsoft was uh, very competitive-driven, if you will. Um, you know, there's a, there's uh, XKCD did a, did a set of org charts for different companies, and the one in the one for Microsoft was a whole bunch of triangles pointing guns at each other, <laughs> which was kind of similar. Uh, Jeffrey described it as being like a cockroach in a country bar. Everybody's trying to crush you. So. Well, I didn't realize it was quite that hostile. I'm glad you guys were able to find your niche in mm -hmm. there, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeffrey was very good at managing uh, managing up, I guess. So. Did what was so? Uh, one thing that I really enjoy about the PowerShell community is how we're kind of like growth mindset, open to different opinions, constructive. And it sounds kind of like internally at Microsoft at the time, it wasn't so much like that. Do you know where that comes from in the PowerShell community? Because I know there was also the DevOps movement, which kind of influenced things a mm -hmm. bit, but where does that come from in the PowerShell world? Um, well, the, the people working on PowerShell, um, Jim and I both came from a Unix background. So uh, we were from more familiar with that sort of culture um, and I mean, one of our original goals was that PowerShell should be open source. Um, that uh, <laughs> didn't fly with the execs at the time, but uh, you know, the company has evolved, and, and so we were finally able to go open source. Exciting. Um, so, so uh, go ahead. So, what? So it kind of makes sense that it would eventually become open source if in the early days there were those thoughts, but it's super impressive for that to actually be a thing. And I think in the history of Microsoft, it's a pretty impactful achievement mm -hmm. and very interesting signal to be sending from a company for them to go from being very competitive driven to now like, wow, we're doing something open source mm -hmm. and putting it out there for everyone. Yeah, How is that for you to reflect on? Um, it's great. I mean, it's, it's uh, the environment is much better, I think, for people now. Um, much more cooperation, much more enthusiasm about the community. Um, back back at the, in the old days, there was a certain attitude towards customers that, um, that they were just kind of annoying and, and that we were always right. And it took a while, it took a long time um, before we started really appreciating the customers. The PowerShell team was customer focused right from the beginning. Uh, we did it really early betas and so forth. Um, so we were kind of a, an outlier at the time, but it's now much more normal. What are some of the key design principles that you think help made PowerShell a success and resonate with people? Um, we tried to leverage existing stuff wherever we could. So PowerShell adds the novelty of a uh, pipeline, an object pipeline, but we try to adapt uh, stuff from different existing programming languages that work really well. Um, so uh, the most of the grammar in the language is C-sharp, uh, the forward statement and all that. We started off looking at Perl, um, but we decided that, that would be too strange. <laughs> so we went with C-sharp um, with the idea that the shell should appeal to developers as well. So the other thing that was funny is that uh, uh, all the language groups were un under the developer division, except for the Visual Basic Scripting host, which was still owned by the developer division, but it was focused on admins. With PowerShell coming along, we were the first language product to not be part of DevDiv. So we did a ton of reviews with them, but we're really the only language that shipped from Microsoft that wasn't under the developer division. And how did you get feedback from customers and how did you kind of facilitate that interaction? Um, well, we did early closed betas. Um, one of the things that really helped actually is we were working with the exchange team. The exchange team, people were complaining that you couldn't automate exchange. 
So they were looking for a way to do that. And we were looking, we had a shell. So um, it was, it was uh, uh, a nice synergy there. And so we got, we got feedback from our customers, like people who are beta. We got feedback from the exchange team uh, and from their beta customers. So we, we tried to get as much user feedback as possible, um, as soon as possible. Yeah, that is uh, pretty helpful to see. I think nowadays it's a little easier for that type of feedback mm -hmm. to be shared compared to back then with like the internet and GitHub and, mm -hmm. and that whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, but that is quite interesting. Are there any features in PowerShell that you're particularly proud of? Maybe took a lot of kind of tweaking or were kind of a passion project for you? Um, well, I'm proud of script locks coming in. <laughs> um, they came in because we needed a way to group statements. Uh, one of the other team wanted to use them. Um, and so we had a group, we needed to have a grouping mechanism and it was logical to put in, well, what in most languages are called lambdas, uh, done as script blocks. And this idea of, of first class functions, first class uh, code is data sort of thing uh, is considered a big idea in programming languages. Um, but it's something that uh, we were able to introduce into PowerShell and it was almost seamless. People got it right away. Uh, and it made a, a whole bunch of scenarios possible that wouldn't have been otherwise, like graphical programming with, with uh, Windows Forms or WPF. Um, and just in general, interoperating with with the .NET platform. Okay, so you mentioned WPF forms. Forms. Um, so that the script blocks would allow you to, like, whenever you click on a certain button or something, yeah. it would execute some kind of script block. Is yep. that kind of the function of them in that context? Yeah. yeah, that's right. So it's a way of binding actions to controls in a graphical environment. All right, uh, and that was something we actually. I was playing around with it, and and um, it required one relatively small change uh, to enable it, um, and so we took it took this change to our management because at this point we were starting to lock down. It was getting ready to do a release, and we said, "Look, this is tiny change that's like one or two lines of code, um, but it enables a whole universe of stuff." And uh, the the management team said, "No." You can't do that <laughs> because it, it introduces too many scenarios that we haven't tested. Um, and we tested the code, but it just opened up a whole bunch of stuff that, that uh, wasn't in the original plan, so to speak. Um, but with, with Jeffrey's assistance and a lot of pushing, uh, that change did go in, uh, and allowing people to write Windows Forms apps in PowerShell. Wow. That seems like a pretty huge accomplishment right there mm -hmm. to be able to get that done, or at least some form of a turning point in the history mm -hmm. of PowerShell. Maybe it would have been done later, but um, mm -hmm. that, is, that is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, other feature would be, I guess, modules. Um, uh, modules came in sort of halfway through V2. Um, we were doing some other stuff for enabling exchange of scenarios, uh, which led us to expose the session state object and once we had the session state object available, then we could wrap uh, wrap that in modules, basically. And uh, we wanted the, we wanted modules to work for every circumstance. So one of the program managers uh, sat down with Visio and <laughs> drew this picture, <laughs> and it was arrows and lines and boxes and bubbles and all the way you could do things with modules. Um, incredibly flexible. Uh, I don't think half the features get used. But it was it was a, a challenge getting it in, getting it tested, and getting it shipped. Uh, so I'm pretty proud of that. I'm, I'm glad. I'm currently I'm tasked with writing a blog about my favorite modules, and I am struggling just because they're so prevalent. There's so many great things. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm glad it's in there because I think that's a massive impact of allowing. Like, have you ever thought to yourself, "I wish PowerShell could do this"? Mm -hmm. You're not the first person to think it, and mm -hmm. someone's probably done it. That's that's a nice. Uh, Nice addition. Yeah. Yeah, we followed, I think Perl was the first one to really do uh, generalized archive modules. They had CPAN, the Comprehensive Perl Archive uh, Network. Um, and, and so if you wanted to do something in with Perl, you would go and get a module for it. We wanted, we really wanted to have that in PowerShell uh, right from the beginning. That was one of our goals. Um, it took two releases to get there. 
we got modules in version two, and then the gallery came later um, uh, for a bunch of complicated uh, management reasons. It sounds like those two features that you mentioned are kind of things that take PowerShell from just a tool to solve specific mm -hmm. problems to a tool to solve any problem. Right. Yeah, that's where we were trying to go with it. We wanted to enable, we want to enable all the scenarios. Uh, we want it to be a good tool for IT pros, definitely, but it should also be a tool that appeals to developers. In, in Unix land, developers write shell scripts. They write, they do a lot of scripting, um, and we wanted to enable that on on uh, Windows in a much easier way. Like you could, uh, one of the it was kind of a funny thing. Um, so there was the uh, I forgot what the thing was called, um, but it was a collection of, of how-tos for Visual Basic. And so we thought, well, we better, we better uh, adapt that for PowerShell because it's, it's appealing to our IT pros. And by the time we had adapted the, uh, so every, every uh, Visual Basic script began with six or eight lines of uh, setting stuff up for Calm. And then you know, one or two lines of actually doing anything. Since we didn't need to set up anything special for Calm, um, most of their examples trimmed down to like one-liners. So it wasn't even really worth it. It's just an example. Hmm. So, so uh, every script can be a one-liner if you're dedicated enough. Well, I, I used to joke that, that uh, the average length of uh, a PowerShell script is one, uh, one line. They, they really can often be so many can it's like probably more readable to separate them into a few lines but mm -hmm. i feel like there's so much you can do and frankly once you get comfortable so much fun can be had mm -hmm. in the pipeline and with a lot of the tools that are there for you to run script blocks and do things and manipulate objects and iterate through them mm -hmm. and translate them and it's just such a good time it's one of my favorite things about being decent at PowerShell is being able to creatively write PowerShell just like mm -hmm. in the pipeline. Right. That was our goal. It's funny you mentioned that because I actually have a signed copy of your book. Ah. Um, signed by you. Ah. <laughs> and Richard Sidaway. And you said, have fun with PowerShell is what you signed mm -hmm. it. So That's great, yeah. Definitely had a lot of fun with PowerShell and I, I mm -hmm. think a lot of our listeners have as well. It's hard mm -hmm. not to. So... With PowerShell in action, uh, did the idea come from that, like, we built this great thing, but we want an easier and on-ramp for everyone? Or I guess, what, what brought about the idea for your book? Um, the, well, I was answering a lot of questions online, and the acquisitions editor at, at Manning, the publisher, uh, decided that, to approach me to see if I would be writing, willing to write a book. And I said, sure, not realizing how hard it was to write a book. So, um, but I, yeah, I, I, what I wanted to do with that book, though, was try and capture as much of the thinking that went into PowerShell, why things are the way they are, as much as what they do. So kind of give the context behind things, because mm -hmm. things right. tend to make more sense, right? Because I think you mentioned a lot of things in PowerShell are borrowed from the best parts of other languages. Mm -hmm. And kind of understanding that can explain a lot of the patterns, and it all can mm -hmm. kind of click. Yeah. So I have an interesting question here. So some people call PowerShell scripting language. Some call it an automation framework. I think that's the language Microsoft uses these days. Or some people call it a programming language. What mm -hmm. is PowerShell? Um, all of the above. So it's interesting because it's, there were actually two parts to PowerShell conceptually when we started. One was the pipeline engine, and that's still available through the PowerShell API. And then there was the language that would consume the, the, uh, the engine. And we had this idea that, that people could take the engine and wrap new languages around it and provide different experiences. Uh, and that's still largely the case. That's what I do with Braid. So, well, that sounds like a great entry to the, <laughs> the next topic. So, so Braid is your current project. I saw yeah. out on X, uh, Doug Fink did the first Hello World, or I don't know if it's just a screenshot of yours, but it sounds like it's a new language you've been working on for a while. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's... Uh, it's built on top of PowerShell. It, it uses PowerShell as a framework, um, but it's an entirely uh, new, well, it's a very different language than PowerShell. Um, it, it's, I wanted to explore some new ideas, and I wanted to have a framework to try those ideas out. 
uh, one of the things that's with PowerShell is the last few years, you haven't seen much happening with the language. I think the last language change was the ternary operator that Dongbo put in. But pretty much after classes, we didn't do much with the language. And in the meantime, there's so much other stuff happening with languages, new languages, new ideas. Um, a lot of functional programming stuff has come in. And so I wanted to explore some of those in the context of PowerShell and, and in a shell as well. Um, so, What is functional programming and how is that different than PowerShell? Um, so PowerShell is, you can argue that PowerShell is a functional programming language because it's, you combine a, get a set of um, commands together to do processing of objects, translating, transforming, and emitting objects. And that's what you do with functional programming. Um, functional programming comes from mathematics. And so there's a couple of things that are not true in PowerShell that are true for functional languages, uh, like no mutation. You always have to, you always end up creating new data structures. So if I want to add something to a list, um, I have to make a copy of the list and add one thing. In fact, that's how PowerShell works sort of by accident. Uh, it's not terribly efficient. So you have to do a lot of careful stuff under the covers to make that work. Um, but yes, and, and there's also what's called the uh, algebraic type system, um, which is probably too obscure to go into. <laughs> the idea of having, having there's, a, there's a ton of type theory, um, uh, which is based on sets. And they talk about having product types and sum types and, and uh, higher kinded types and all that sort of stuff. So that's probably more than anybody wants to know. Um, do you know what dynamic polymorphism is? Uh, polymorphism at runtime. So okay, okay. I just we we heard that word uh, in our interview with James Brundage, and I'm just curious if it's a term that you've heard before. So mm -hmm. we know what it is now. Mm -hmm. We've learned things. We have, <laughs> and it's pretty cool. Now, so so Braid is its. Would you consider it its own programming language? Um, it's its own programming language, the same way PowerShell is. It just incorporates you can call PowerShell seamlessly from it. So, okay. But there's a fresh syntax to it, so it's not, there's, there's it's not commandless. It. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, the core idea of a shell is a command with arguments. And if you need to call another command, then you put, it, put that in parentheses and call it another command and so on and so forth. So it's, it's lists of commands and arguments uh, in lists. And there is the, the second oldest programming language uh, out there is called Lisp, and that's basically its structure, lists of, of commands and arguments. Um, and so that's where I went with sort of the core syntax. Um, and uh, maybe time to show some of it. Yeah, absolutely. So since we do primary, primarily our listeners are audio listeners, mm -hmm. so we'll uh, sort of describe what we're seeing on screen here. Oh, oh this should be interesting, yes. <laughs> I uh, mean, some of it, it'll be syntax-specific because it is different than PowerShell syntax. It has mm -hmm. that, I, I see that you like define variables, I think, by using like let, mm -hmm. so different, different ways of doing things. But yep. I think if you're familiar with certain other languages, it'll probably snap into your head in a certain place. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Um, it's, it's much more programmer-centric than admin-centric. Um, so one of the things that uh, uh, we did with PowerShell is we wanted to make it super productive for people to use. And so there's a lot of work going on in the, in the PowerShell engine that does type conversions and just tries to give you the right answer uh, for anything you type. Um, so in, in some ways, it's almost a user interface as much as it is a programming language. So uh, just a slight aside, uh, are you familiar with the Tyobi programming language index? No, it's us. It's, it's a testing company that, that publishes this uh, popularity chart of languages. And PowerShell never gets very high on that chart because the, the queries that they use are they look for the word programming and then the name of the language. So programming Python, programming Perl. Um, but most people describe PowerShell as scripting. So if you take, take their query and put in scripting instead of PowerShell, or instead of um, programming, uh, suddenly the hit count, hit count goes way, way up. So it annoys me. Mm. 
So we should be better represented on that list. Dang it, Tayomi. Uh, yeah, I think, so. I think yeah. that... Uh, well, I think so, there's it's a billion monthly sessions at this point. It yeah. feels like it's pretty... <laughs> should be yeah. up there. Sessions and not total sessions. Mm-hmm. And for those listening, if you switch to YouTube about 25 minutes in, you can find the switch to share screen. Um, so let's start braid. Okay, so you run start braid mm-hmm. to initialize braid. Yeah, and so it, it loads. So braid is written in um, C sharp um, and braid and PowerShell. And so the actual read evaluate print loop is uh, is PowerShell, um, and it calls into the braid DLLs to do the work. When uh, if you clone my GitHub repo, um, you'll see that there's it's set up with an examples directory tests and staging um, tools at the top level to do basically start braid and to build braid, uh, and it copies everything into a staging directory that you can run out of. Uh, right now, the build only works on on Windows PowerShell PowerShell five. Um, it, it's the only one that does the build, but the DLL that's produced will run anywhere. I run it on uh, Mac OS. It runs on Linux. Um, the same DLL works everywhere because it's a pure ILDL, DLL. So let's go into the examples directory. And we'll have a link to this GitHub so you can get clone it on your machine and run through these and play with Braid. Yeah. Um, so the default experience in Braid kind of sucks because if you run help, Gives you lots and lots and lots of characters in the screen and nothing to really browse it. So I'm going to try and fix that very soon. Um, a better way of getting documentation is to use the doc command. So a lot of the, the syntax uh, in Braid, it, it is a Lisp, but it's modeled on a language called Clojure, which is a JVM language. Um, and it introduced a bunch of stuff, a bunch of additional syntax, uh, because pure Lisp is is nothing but parens. Um, Clojure introduced some additional stuff, so you can have like a list of uh, a vector of of uh, numbers, uh, dictionaries. Looking at kind of the doc you pulled up there while you're showing that example. For the, if I understand the if condition is basically you have the if condition and then you don't need to specify the else. If you just put a second segment, it will assume it's an else or am I yeah. reading that wrong? Okay. That's right. Yeah. That's, so that's another thing about these, this sort of class of language is that uh, there are no statements. There are no operators. Everything is done with functions. Um, so in, in a lot of ways, the syntax is actually considerably simpler than PowerShell. Um, but it requires getting your head around it. Uh, some basic stuff just works. So I type, oh, actually, I us say, um, if I look at the definition for LS, it's just the command info object for um, get child item. So you can call any PowerShell uh, command list or functions or even external programs. Does the pipeline work? Pipeline works. It it works in kind of a strange way. So you're doing a IP config pipeline to a for each. Yeah. Okay. Oh, for each object. There we go. Yeah, for each object, and then pass in script block. Um, Is create yeah. script block a built-in PowerShell command, or did you create it with Braid? I don't no, know if I've ever used it. Braid specific command. Okay. Um, which allows you to have embedded chunks of of uh, code, um, and you can use it in turn to call add type. So you can add, you can use C sharp code embedded as well. Um, actually, that's a fun demo. Uh, Lee Holmes wrote this uh, a couple of years ago as an, as a demo for PowerShell, um, and I adapted it because I think it's kind of cool. And that was oh, oh, nice. burn console it flames. Yeah, it flames. <laughs> awesome. yes. So um, it's way better than CLS. <laughs> uh, so you're a Vim user. We're we're looking at the burn console script. To hear um, that that script uses add type to add a bunch of C sharp stuff to make it fast. Mm. And now, interestingly. Um, 
I'm running this on the console host. If you run it on the new Microsoft terminal, it's very slow. The, the terminal is, is just not as fast as the console and it's nowhere close to being as fast as a, as a, uh, uh, a Unix terminal, um, which is sort of too bad. Would you I'm, consider this a performant language? It performs better than uh, PowerShell, um, but I haven't put a lot of, uh, of effort into making it really fast. Uh, I mean, Fibonacci sequence, uh, we'll ca calculate 25th, so at first. So Fibonacci, Fibonacci sequence is any, any given number in the sequence is the sum of the previous two numbers in the sequence. And so the first two, zero and one, are one, so the next one after that would be two, and then three, and then five, and so forth. And that's what this does. It says if if the argument is zero, then return one. If the argument is one, return one. Otherwise, it's a number, and we will. And this is where the math gets a little weird because the what are operators in PowerShell are functions here. So plus is a function, uh, minus is a, a function. So this is saying call uh, PowerShell or call fib on the previous element in the sequence. And so, so to get that information, you did echo and then fib for Fibonacci. So is that kind of like a equivalent to like get command, where it gives you um, some details, or how's how's that function? Uh, so um, one of the things that Braid does is it puts all of the bound symbols into one namespace. So on in PowerShell, you have the function functions are in one namespace, variables are in a separate namespace. Um, Commands are in a separate namespace, so you have to do you have to use prefixes to be able to use one in a different in a different space. Um, if that makes any sense. Um, but in Braid, they're all in uh, one namespace, and so all I'm doing is I'm echoing the value of the fib command, and it shows you what this code is. Okay. Echo the PowerShell version of that that command. Yeah, definition. Oh. Save the third time. Yeah, so it gives you a function and then well, this gives you the, the code of Okay. For the, the PowerShell Fibonacci function. Um, would that work if you also did like dot definition? I'm just curious. Like does it have all the properties? You just access it by putting a dot and then the property name? Yeah, basically. Okay, cool. That gives you definition. Um, so let's let's run these things. Uh, the braid one first. It takes a bit of a second. And run the PowerShell one. Maybe it should... take, <laughs> taking a little bit longer on that one. Yeah, it's taking a little bit longer. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so eight times eight times slower. Um, so yeah, it's faster than, than PowerShell is in a lot of things. So uh, the range command is just is the equivalent of the double dot operation in in uh, in PowerShell. So I'm, I'm just going to generate a range of numbers, ten thousand numbers. What's the double dot function? I don't know if I've, I thought oh, dot dot was like a directory directory. Um, if you do if you do uh, one dot dot two or one oh, dot okay, ten, yeah, it's, it's uh, I totally order. know that. A dot dot Z, yeah, got it. I have used that a lot then. So I'm watching you type out this command, and so you start off with range 10,000, then you pipe that, but then you did 4-H object, mm -hmm. which is PowerShell, because you said it was built on PowerShell, yeah. and then you pipe that into void. So it's like a combination of use braid, but where needed, it seamlessly yeah. goes into PowerShell? Yeah, because PowerShell has so much functionality from all of the modules. Um, and this this is what what I meant by integrating the language, um, in, integrating the PowerShell core pipeline component into Braid in a in a seamless way. So you can call you can pass stuff from Braid commands into PowerShell commands and PowerShell commands back into Braid commands. You can call um, PowerShell functions or commandlets or scripts. Um, it's all available. Plus the the stuff that Braid brings as well. So what would be a use case where someone would, this would be a great fit for them and help their need? Um, if they want a little bit more performance, if they want, um, it's more of a programming language. Uh, let me really do this demo and then I'll, I'll show what okay. exactly what I meant. Okay. So, 
And now I'm going to use the equivalent uh, map because it comes from mathematics. Um, it's basically the same thing. It just takes the ID function, which just passes its argument. And you can see that, again, 80, 80 times faster. Uh, so it's significantly faster uh, doing pipeline operations. Uh, I think that there should be some effort expended uh, on improving the performance of the pipeline uh, with PowerShell. When we introduced um, the DLR, the component, the compiling component into PowerShell, the PowerShell language got 10, ten times faster, but every time you have to call a command, it just slows you right down. Um, so uh, now I was talking about programming. Um, so in PowerShell, if you declare, uh, here's how you declare a function. And I'm going to constrain the type of this function. So I'm watching type of this one out and trying to follow along. So for me, I, I struggle to read braids that it is. Is it something where braid is just as readable? I just have to get used to the new syntax, or is it something where it'll just you're giving up a readability for ease of function? Um, it's you have to become used to the syntax. It's it's not as easy to get into as PowerShell. Um, if you if you're familiar with a Lisp language, like Doug had done some closure, he was able to use it fairly easily. Um, it just it, it takes it uh, root from a different family of languages. So here's here's my uh, foo function. Define foo takes a single argument that's of type int and then returns it. So works fine on numbers. It fails because it's not it's a it's a string. It's not a number. Um, in PowerShell, it would have automatically converted it, uh, whether you wanted it to or not. And in Braid, you have much more control over what you're what you're doing. So if I if I want it to be converted, and I stick a, a question mark in front of it, and that says this is a soft type, try and convert to this type rather than requiring that the type is exactly what it what you said. So now now it'll work. And so for the listeners, basically, you build a function for an integer, then you put quotes around it to make it a string, and it failed because it was looking for an integer. That's right. Okay. Yes. But then you're able to still tap into PowerShell's mm -hmm. helpfulness, where it tries to convert things for yeah. you by just adding a question mark at the end. Yeah, and that's that's what um, one of the things I tried to do with Braid was to make it uh, more more strict. I mean, in PowerShell, you can set strict mode uh, and cause a bunch of things to be checked at runtime or compile time or well, runtime, I guess. Uh, but Braid is, is even stricter, and it allows you to turn these, these sort of knobs on and off uh, at different spots. So um, when, you set, when you set strict mode in PowerShell, it actually sets it for the entire environment, and everything has to follow it, which means that if you're using a, uh, a module that has some strict mode violations and it could fail if you turn strict mode on and you're in the script that consumes the module. Uh, with Braid, you have a lot more choice about uh, um, how you can, where, where you can choose to be flexible in your constraints and where you want to be uh, rigid. I've heard the complaint about PowerShell regarding its performance, regarding the kind of way that sometimes it makes calls for you like to convert types and there's mm -hmm. other helpful things that are that are helpful for a language mm -hmm. that make it easy to pick up but it's definitely a downside for certain applications and it seems like this is kind of what braid helps solve is you mm -hmm. have that performance benefit you have a lot of the statically typed benefits but also you're able to tap into let's say you have a background in powershell your favorite modules that perform great things that you right. don't have to now rewrite you can mm -hmm. make use of other scripts maybe you've written in the past if your environment has some powershell Right. Um, so it's kind of like the best of both worlds, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that's the idea that, that all of the breadth of coverage that PowerShell provides uh, is wrapped in a, a language that's more programmer for, focused than necessarily admin focused. It's, it's more focused on creating larger artifacts, larger scripts, um, where more more rigidity uh, is a is a good thing. Um, so Jordan, I would say definitely if you're listening to this, this is a more advanced type feature. If you're new to PowerShell and just working on getting your commands, don't worry. You don't have to be able to read this. This is another one of those cool things about PowerShell 
um, where there are amazing modules and projects and there are upper bounds of what you can do. But that doesn't mean that you have to shoot for the moon from day one. You can still work on building your skills slowly, implementing your scripts, implementing automation. And as time goes on, our skills get better. Our use cases change, our responsibilities change, and we can learn new things. Right. Um, and that's sort of the same model that .NET uses. So it has, you have the .NET framework that has tons of useful classes. But then you can use those classes from C Sharp or Visual Basic or F Sharp or any one of a number of languages. So here, PowerShell becomes that, that uh, repository of functionality. Um, and this is just a, a slightly higher level uh, way of use, utilizing it. Yeah. I remember hearing a few years ago about some people, some contributors from PowerShell, um, community contributors who were kind of considering some form of another shell that mm -hmm. maybe implements some of the language improvements or things that they'd like to see done or whatever. And this seems like that's kind of what this is. It is a way to extend what PowerShell does and make different choices fundamentally about how you approach things. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting to me that it's compatible with PowerShell and you make advantage of it, but it is a C-sharp project technically. Um, yeah, it's mostly written in C-sharp, um, but it's just a library that uh, anybody can call. And what does TL stand for? So the uh, extension on these files that, is that's .tl. That's a funny thing. When I first started working on it, it was called Tiny Lisp because it was small. Uh, then I changed the name, but I didn't change the extension. I really should do that someday. So this is uh, a text editor that I wrote in Braid. It's rather impressive, you know, for everyone out there. Oh, hey, here we go. We're in Vim now. Yeah, but we're in, in Vim in the console. Right. Um, and so, so this is a little over a thousand lines of code not including the modules, the uh, WinForms module and the console module. Um, and you went back to calling your script blocks to lambdas, as you mentioned, was what they're initially called. Yeah. So they are called lambdas now in, in Braid. That's actually a, a tricky thing. PowerShell is very opinionated in how things should be, should be named, but then so are Lisp languages. And so uh, finding the right balance between uh, Lisp terminology, which can be deeply obscure, and PowerShell terminology is is a challenge. Yeah, so this, this is the code of the editor. I'm just trying to find, put in a whole bunch of functions. Yeah, Jordan, he's a programmer. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, <laughs> holy smokes. When you were starting off easy, I think I was following pretty well. But man, this gets. Uh... Yeah, this is where the the more programmer friendly part of it is. So where this is more programmer friendly, I guess where sometimes you have those that like, script on demo side versus the, the program side where mm -hmm. there's a little bit of conflict, would this be a good bridge for that where it'd be something where they both can read and understand what's going on or is it always just mm -hmm. going to be kind of that disconnect? Um, it makes it possible for people to share artifacts through, through the common interfaces defined by PowerShell. Uh, you can create an artifact in whatever language you want, and then share it through a module. I don't actually have that working yet, but it's going to work. <laughs> uh, you can write, you can call uh, PowerShell uh, from Braid, but you can't call Braid from PowerShell exactly. Uh, it's clunky because you'd have to like initialize it and enter it. Oh, yeah, you know, I can. Uh... So you're calling shell ps version table. Yeah, so that just calls out to a piece of PowerShell code. And you can you can dynamically type code in here. I will produce a spew, and then you can take the output and. Oh, nice! Take ten. Yeah, that's that's. You can sort of do that in PowerShell with select dash dash first, mm -hmm. um, but the, the this pattern of functions there's uh, there's a whole bunch of functions, uh, map and filter and take and drop that are all kind of a. Uh, an algebra of lists, um, and they're not all there in PowerShell. So there's there's a, a function called reduce, and so really 100 integers, and we reduce them. So what what reduce does is it iterates through the collection, uh, applying the function to each member of the collection and its previous member, all the way along. So what this will do is it'll sum up that range, and you can also do it with multiply. So 
It's basically the Fibonacci, or no, factorial, factorial 100. Uh, and you can go here. So basically what this did is you took the range of, so you took every number between 1 and 100, and then the mm -hmm. first one you added them all together, and the second one yeah. you multiplied them all together. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Okay. So... Um, some, getting some big numbers there. Numbers, uh, yes, <laughs> I filled your screen. I got to tell my son, man, algebra. You better be focusing, man. I I regret uh, my my background is as an engineer, and I regret not having as much algebra as I wanted. Um, so the the naming is a bit unique, at least to me on that one. So reduce to me would be making a smallest version, but in this mm -hmm. case, since you added the plus sign, it was adding each number together. So it's yeah. It's it's yeah. uh, definitely a, a learning. It curve is yeah. That. It, it because it tends to come from mathematics. It has uh, very specific mathy terms. The other term for reduce is called fold. So if you think of it as as you you have a piece of paper that has numbers written on it, and then as you apply each each uh, fold, you just fold the paper over and fold the paper over and fold the paper over until the end, you end up with one pile of numbers. So that I think is a way to. Uh, other tricks you can do. I'm going to generate a, a thousand random numbers, but I want to find the biggest one. Use the built-in, but I can also use reduce and max to do that. That's the biggest number that was in that list of random numbers, because it takes it takes each number and compares it to the previous number. And if the new number is bigger, then it passes it on to the next iteration. So you can sort out lists like that. So in that case, nine nine eight feels low. Out of a thousand random numbers, you think that at some point you get into the millions or billions, but oh so no, it's the uh, the other thing that random does by default is if you ask for a, a set of numbers of a particular size, it makes sure that all those numbers are within that that range. So it generates random numbers from one to a thousand. Oh, okay. Could you increase that? Just the second argument, I guess. Oh, there you go. I want to do bigger numbers, for example. Um, actually. Got to check the docs. Always a good idea. Yes. So, so doc almost feels like get help. Yeah, PowerShell. doc is like get help. Okay. Get documentation for this command. Um, I went actually random. So that that should quickly be viewed as one of the core commands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it should probably be called help by default. Um, but it then it could kind of conflict with PowerShell, but maybe not. Yeah, because it, well, it actually does the help command does conflict with PowerShell. So, so it looks like if you provide two arguments, it should do it. Yeah. Okay, so underscores in place of commas. Yeah. Okay. Um, the maximum number. Give me the minimum. Oh, reduce min, so you could grab the smallest. Yeah. Right. All right. So those are gonna. So you took a random. You wanted random one hundred numbers between one and one million, and you took both the largest and the smallest number that it pulled from those hundred. That's right. Okay. And okay. it ran fast. Like that's. Yeah. It's pretty fast. Not to put you under the pressure here, but how many? How long would that take to write in PowerShell? Because I feel like I've done coding interviews in the past where I've had to do similar things to this mm -hmm. in PowerShell. Um. Well, PowerShell has a built-in sort, so you can do it that way. So uh, it 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 wouldn't take much longer, I don't think, to do that. Um, I have another sort, so uh, let's call sort functions. Um, so a hundred thousand random numbers between one and a million. Yeah. Oh, so you're doing. And now you're using the sort object and said, okay. Cool. That's numbers. Yeah, so that took two and a half seconds to run. Um, if it take too long, I'll knock off one digit. Um, so, yeah, no sort object. And is void kind of like out and all? Yeah. yeah so... QSort is written in Braid. Um, sort object is written in C in C sharp, um, but it's still the the times are not all that significantly. Like it's it's you know, ten ish times faster to use C sharp versus Braid, for example, in this particular scenario. Um, 
I mean, now I'll just use the built-in sword. So it's like a fraction of a, it's a fraction of a millisecond, actually. Okay. So um, that the built-in sword uses uh, link to do the sorting, and uh, it's pretty fast. Nice. And so you mentioned that uh, Doug picked this picked this up pretty quick because he already did a language that used the what it list or Lisp Lisp, Lisp. yeah Lisp language okay. yeah, he was familiar language. with with Clojure uh, which is where I took a bunch of syntax from. So, all right, so if if you don't have any sort of background with, I mean, obviously I don't, I didn't even know the name mm-hmm. of that. What would be the best way to learn that syntax? Would it just be to dive into Braid, or is there a different way to go um, about learning that? There, well, yeah, diving into Braid would be uh, once I make the environment a little more friendly and have help and stuff. Um, you could do that uh, because it's still, it's still, you still have all the PowerShell stuff uh, uh, underlying. Um, and the, the syntax itself is not, there's not a lot to that because it's just, again, lists of, of commands and, and uh, arguments. So, um, yeah, just playing around with it, getting a sense. The, the trickiest bit is to remember uh, the in the non-infix notation. So it's that instead of two plus two plus two. Um, actually, I actually have a macro that lets you write it that way, um, and you can see what. So macros in in Lisp are one of the most powerful features of Lisp. There are functions written in in, in Braid that. Uh, are executed by the compiler when it's compiling the language. So this particular one, because Braid uses a prefix notation for numeric operators. So what this did is it took three plus two and then turned it into plus three and two. Um, and that was done once at compile time. So there's no runtime performance impl- implications uh, in, in this operator. It generates the nested, the correct nested set of, of function calls. So this will be how you solve those uh, Facebook arguments we see all the time of what's the answer of this. Like, well, yeah. Yes. <laughs> You're a genius. You can, do two, you can add two plus two. Right? Or order, order of operations is done for you. Yeah. That's, not, that's a nice addition. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the macros, uh, in fact, they, um, there's no there's no four or I equals one, I is less than 100, I plus plus, that type of C-sharp or C4 statement uh, is done as a macro in uh, in Braid. And just for my brain, coming full circle, Lambda, I think that's also an AWS little thing that runs yeah. bits of code for you too. So it's yeah. in yeah, my it, mind. It, they, they're like the equivalent of Azure functions. Right. Um, but uh, an abstract name for a function is a Lambda. And that's why they called it Lambda. It makes sense when you have the context, right? It kind of seems like everything builds on each other in a sort yep. of way. Okay, so this is the for statement yeah. in braid syntax. Yeah, but what it actually is, is, is it's a macro that runs the compile time and it turns it into uh, a while loop uh, instead oh. of having a u- unique loop. So you can build uh, new things out of uh, at runtime or compile time, rather. You can extend the language. And we mentioned that PowerShell sometimes has performance issues or whatever. How are you able to build um, Braid in a way that goes around that? Is it just because uh, it it's calling its own engine? Yeah, it's calling its own interpreter uh, rather than the PowerShell interpreter. The PowerShell interpreter is actually faster, but all of the primitive functions in PowerShell are really slow. So What's a primitive function? Uh, all the commandlets. Okay. Running a command is very slow because it's doing a lot. It, it has to go look it up. Um, it has to do all the parameter binding, which is a, an extremely complicated and expensive process. And then it wraps, wraps all the output objects in a PS object form. So um, there's, a, there's a bunch of overhead that 90% of the time you don't need, but we were trying to aim for 100% of the time. Like, uh, Every line in get content has the name of the file that uh, that the content came from, for example. Mm-hmm. So, and that you don't always want that, but sometimes you do. And so, our our design goal with PowerShell was to get you everything that you could possibly find interesting in in 100 of the circumstances. Doing it first, doing it one uh, up front rather than delaying it. 
because eventually when you're using remoting, uh, the overhead of going back and forth a whole bunch of times to get little pieces of information is very, very high, whereas a bulk translation or transfer of, of information is more efficient. That was our theory. Then the cloud came along. <laughs> that did change things up a little bit. It did, yes. People used to, like, I have, I have this incredibly fast processor, so I can waste CPU cycles on, on you know, making things look pretty and so on and so forth. Um, until you're in a cloud environment where suddenly it's like the mainframes again and everything is shared. And now you want everything to be as efficient as possible. Yep, and you're paying for it. <clears throat> so if people want to get involved in Braid or learn more, we'll definitely have a link to the GitHub. Is this a project you're looking for PRs, uh, issues on yet, or where are you with that? Um, well, James Rundish has already opened seven issues on me, uh, <laughs> all of which are, you know, Definitely things I need to fix. Uh, sure, if people are interested. Um, one of the things I would, having, having uh, people to bounce ideas off would be, would be good. Um, because as I said, figuring out um, uh, whether it should be a PowerShell term or a, a Lisp term, or you know, how should this thing look in this environment? Um, after a while, getting getting an alternate perspective is very useful. So comments, um, issues, PRs, if you want. Awesome. We'll check and, out the show notes for that. Yes, until until I get all the help fixed and, and a few other things, it's going to be very the the uh, one of James' uh, issues that he posted was uh, the on onboarding experience sucks and it does. <laughs> If you're not me, um, it's difficult to get going with it uh, unless you had familiarity with some of the other languages. Um, I really need to write uh, uh, some getting started documents. I'm actually thinking um, there's a there's a, a website called X Learn X and Y Minutes, and they cover a lot of tools and a lot of programming languages, and they're like really good for getting a sense of uh, what a language looks like. And I want to I want to follow the the type of pattern that they use for a getting started document. I mean, this was something that's far outside my my normal expertise. So I've been fascinated to kind of watch your work. I'm definitely I went out of my element pretty quick, but it's starting to to coalesce a little bit. But it feels like spending time learning Lisp would be a big first step on diving um, in fully. Yeah, at least getting a, a basic understanding uh, would be. Uh, would be necessary. Um, but if I document it right, you should be able to learn it from using uh, uh, using Braid. But that's, that's, that's the name, that's, by the way, the name of the language Braid is because it brings together all these different ideas from different languages, um, from Lisp and functional programming languages like Haskell, as well as PowerShell and Ruby and all that sort of thing. And, and we have them together. Yeah, we're built on top of PowerShell, and the Git help for PowerShell is so prolific. It, it kind of sets a, a very high bar for mm -hmm. that part within Braid. Yeah, and it's interesting how how that happened because, uh, again, a bit of history. Um, we have all the about topics and all the documentation that was written primarily by the engineering team initially, because they didn't have resources that we we weren't allocated resources to do documentation. So actually, Jim, Jim Truer actually wrote, wrote most of it. Um, in his spare time for the first the first couple of releases. We did eventually get, you know, we have a, a, a documentation team now and tools and processes, but uh, uh, a lot of that getting started documentation was written by the, the programmers themselves. So it's kind of interesting how, how well it's turned out. Awesome. One more, one more little, little demo. This is... Um, this is a, a socket program for querying the time server, the network time protocol. So it tells me what time it is. And it's actually converted from C sharp, but it lets you do um, socket programming. Uh, go back to the top. Uh, one of the, I needed a tool to swap the, the bit big endian to little endian this, uh, whether the most significant byte is first or last. I needed to swap that for the default uh, endianness in .NET. Um, I needed a byte array to, to put stuff in. Here's an example of, of binary number syntax that I can use to assign to the first byte in that byte array 
uh, call DNS to get the name, the, the IP address of the name server in time.windows.com, um, set up a, a, an IP endpoint and socket, connect socket, uh, adding a timeout in case it hangs. And I send the data that I uh, had set up previously. Uh, then I receive the data from the socket, close the socket, and then do a little bit more manipulation, bit manipulation uh, to turn it into uh, a form of time that is, is uh, uh, understandable by, by, uh, by .NET. So this shows an example of, well, I wouldn't necessarily call it systems programming, but it shows that you can write uh, uh, programs that deal with binary data quite easily in, in Braid. And use some .NET stuff too. Cool. Yeah, and yeah. So, you know, Power, one of the strengths of PowerShell is that it has all of .NET underneath that you can access. Um, Braid has that same advantage along with all the PowerShell stuff. Nice. Well, that is very cool. Jordan, do you have some challenging questions? I think we need to hit them with some heavy hitters. <laughs> <laughs> so we have our, our common parameters, that, uh, three questions that, you know, you normally I, I spin it up as they're going to be difficult, but based on what I've just witnessed, I don't think you're going to struggle here. Uh, so uh, first common parameter, what's uh, one time something went wrong on the job and what did you learn from it? Um. Hmm. Checked in the wrong thing, or checked in something I shouldn't have checked in once. Uh, it was just a garbage file, but we had to go and get rid of it. And thereafter, uh, I am much more careful about keeping my directories clean. Git, Git helps a lot with that, right? If you have junk in your directory, then Git won't automatically add it. You have to explicitly add it. All so right. Better tooling is is a godsend. Mm -hmm. And having good processes and code mm -hmm. reviews probably makes sure that yeah. nothing gets too messy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. Are you ready for the second common parameter? It only gets more difficult. Anyway. With everything you know now, what's one tip you would give your younger self when you're first starting out? Um, learn more algebra. <laughs> uh, it can be fun. Like mm -hmm. I, I personally, whenever I get into math, I find it pretty fun. But mm -hmm. whenever I don't have it in my working memory or used it recently and I'm not into it, it can be challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And, and computers are mathematical things. So having that understanding, especially of algebra, like all the all the big learning or um, AI stuff, generative AI stuff is all a bunch of applied statistics pretty much. So if you want to understand that stuff deeply, then you need to have that mathematical background. Oh, I wish we could get into that next, but go ahead. <laughs> All right, last one. We're going back to pure PowerShell here. What are your three favorite modules? Um, the default modules would all count. Actually, I, I ran across Pode recently, which is Node for PowerShell, and it, I find it really intriguing, so I want to play with that a whole bunch. Um, yeah, we highlighted that one last episode or two mm -hmm. episodes ago. Yeah, it's really neat. Um, else one of the fun modules i'm drawing a blank powershell ai is a big one yeah powershell ai i've been talking to doug about that and playing with that so that's definitely up there awesome and then the built-in modules obviously a lot of great stuff there as well mm -hmm. yeah. shout out braid not technically a module but great way to extend powershell braid all right. Well, I mean, this isn't necessarily new programming language, but I don't know if you're aware of this, but Andrew has perfected the art of shilling a podcast so much that it probably should be its own language. <laughs> and we're lucky enough to have a front row seat to watch a pure magician just spin his craft. Take, take it away, Andrew. I'll get to weaving. Oh, hey, mm -hmm. see what I did there. Yes. Thank you so much, listeners. If you're still here with us, you're a friend of the podcast. You're one of us. You're a PowerShell lover. You're part of the community, and we're happy to have you. And in being so happy to have you, we would be even happier if you left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Tell you what. Hey, if you're on YouTube, give us a like, a comment, say what's up. Tell us if you've given Braid a try. Tell us if you learned something new. Do you know what dynamic polymorphism is? <laughs> do you? Because I do. Um, 
you can email us feedback, good or bad, PowerShell at pdq.com. Tell us about you. Tell us about your stories, have any issues, and we can ask them on the air or keep them private. I'm Andrew Plotek. He's DevOps Jordan. And Bruce, people checked out your project. They're interested in connecting with you, maybe giving some feedback. What's the best way to find you on the World Wide Web? Um, uh, Bruce Payette on Twitter, on X, sorry, X, um, or through the GitHub repo. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. Thanks for joining the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. What's the matter with you guys? (laughs) The PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com. 